Last week I was sharing with you guys that um, we need to be a people of the Spirit of God. It's very easy to get away from that in, in our pursuit after God and the ebb and flow of life. It's very easy to, to take back and, you know, operate out of your own strength when really what God wants us to be, it's not our human strength that gets us there. In the end, it's his spirit. It's not by might. It's not by my own striving and my own effort, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. You know, the, the scriptures, if I can borrow a Bible for a minute, take the big one. <laughs> if you start in the first page of Genesis and you end up near the end in Revelation, from cover to cover, the agenda of God is proclaimed. And God is trying to communicate to men, women, anybody that will listen that he has a plan and a purpose. He has a will. He has ways that he wants us to walk in. And this book is just the struggles and the successes of those men and women that have heard that message. And one or two things happen when you hear the gospel. You either resist it or you surrender to it. And you can go through this book and you can see story after story where men surrendered. Abraham, Moses, David. And you can see story after story where people resisted. Pharaoh, Jezebel. It comes down to the choice of human hearts, whether we're going to resist or whether we're going to accept what God puts in front of us. There were kings, there were prophets, there were apostles, There were pastors, there were teachers, there were people like me that had the gift of exhortation, which is a gift that God gives to challenge people to walk in that agenda, God's agenda, not man's agenda. Unfortunately, what's happened over history, and that book is proof of that, that every time that message is proclaimed, hearts that are seeking after God will surrender and hearts that are not seeking after God will find a way to resist. I've been preaching the same message for 20 years. You've got to walk in the Spirit of God. You've got to be Spirit-filled. You've got to be Spirit-led. And I won't stop doing that. You know why? Because it's God's best for you. Sadly, some people don't want to hear that. But it is God's best. And we shouldn't stop until we've got God's best. And we should want God's best for us. You know, I've had all the accolades and the applause and people pat me on the back. When they hear that message, they go, yes, Mark, because that's what we need. That's God's design for us. But I've also people get angry at me and accuse me of being a bully and manipulating and forcing something onto people, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Well, I can't force that onto anybody. I can only invite you. And I'll invite you passionately and I won't stop inviting you until I know you walk in the fullness of what God has for you. Because I know what it feels like to be robbed of that. I know what it feels like to pursue God but not have the tools and the training and the equipping to experience what I was supposed to. And when I did, I had this heartfelt conviction that I'm not going to stop until everybody knows that. And I know it gets up some people's nose when I speak. And I'm sorry if that offends you. Because the gift that God has given me is to challenge people to take everything that God's got. And if your heart's in a good place, that's easy to get a hold of, isn't it? Yay, Mark, that's good stuff. 
if your heart's not in a good place, then it's, then it's abrasive. And I've been in that abrasive place. I've been on the one sitting in the congregation, picking on the guy preaching, saying, oh, he's full of himself, you know, he's just in it for the money, blah, blah, blah. Because the message, I was reacting to it. Instead of surrendering to it, I was reacting to it and I was looking at the man instead of listening to the message. And that's so often what happens. And I think that's why Jesus said so many times when he taught, he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Because there can be many distractions to actually get in the core of the message. <laughs> and we know that from the people that follow Jesus and saw the signs and the wonders. And you know, a guy like Judas that followed Jesus all around, he really didn't hear with his heart the message that God's got this beautiful plan for us, every one of us, to walk in. It's our inheritance to have God's best. And it really does come down to the individual. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. It really does come down to us individually and our heart attitude, whether we're going to really accept everything that God's got for us or whether we're just going to pick and choose out of the message what suits us. We just sang that song, When I Don't Understand, I'll Choose You, God. (laughs) A lot of times we don't understand and we take a step back and we build up barriers and we resist instead of stepping into what God has for us. And the spiritual realms and spiritual things, none of us will ever fully comprehend or understand. It's a step of faith to step into those things and experience those things. But they're the best things. They're the best things that God has for us. Now, the Holy Spirit, the name for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was Ruach. You've got to have a bit of phlegm in your throat to say that properly. And it was just a Hebrew word for wind or breath or spirit. And then when the the Greek language was was written and, and that was what they wrote the New Testament in, the Greek word was fuma, which means exactly the same thing, the wind or the breath of God. What God wants to do is breathe into our life by His Spirit and He wants us to pick up His presence and I guess the analogy is be carried by His presence and fly in His presence. When we lived at Mount Tambourine, there was a, a, a spot on the mountain where the paragliders would set up and they would very meticulously get themselves ready to catch the thermals. They'd stand on the edge of the cliff and they'd run all the strings out to their parachute, very carefully getting them in the right order and getting, make sure they weren't untangled, making sure they had the right weights in their bag and they you know, can see all the stuff on their belts, GPSs, see how high they were going, stuff like that. But then this beautiful thing would happen. They'd just look up and they'd go, yep, I'm ready. And they'd just flick the strings and the wind would just, just the, the tiniest little breath would catch that parachute and boom, up it went. And the next minute they're off. It's just the my oh, I, I could never do it. I'd be pulling, I'd be pulling. But it was just such the majestic thing to watch them just glide and, and, and pick up those thermals. And I, I really believe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with us. He wants to make the Christian life something joyous something fulfilling, something that we're, we're passionate about. But I think if we don't live in the Spirit and don't move by the Spirit, then 
Christianity is just a tough road. It's a really tough road. It's not designed to be like that. We're supposed to be carried along by the Spirit. And what I want to do this morning is I want you to think about the parachute being the Holy Spirit and making sure we've got the right strings coming down to our heart. Because when we've got the right strings connected to the Holy Spirit, we'll fly the way we're supposed to fly in our Christian life. But if the strings are tangled or there's not strings there, then you're not going to get the fullness of what you want. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those paragliders have a stack. We had a guy in our church that was a paraplegic because he stacked. Got caught up in the gum trees and, and some of the strings got twisted. It can be dangerous. Spiritual things are dangerous. As we're playing with the presence of God, we're fighting against an enemy who wants to cripple us. This is a serious subject. That's why I'm so passionate about it, because when people get it and they walk in it, man, life is so good and the horizon is just endless. You can just go into all the things that you wanted. But if you get crippled and you don't fly like you're supposed to, life can be tough. So what I want to do this morning is just walk you through a bit of a story in Acts And I want to pull some of those strings and make sure that we've got them all. So in those days when the number of disciples was increasing in Jerusalem, the Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven among from among you who are known to be, and you can hardly read that, full of the Spirit and wisdom. Notice the differentiation there. That's really important. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, this proposal pleased the whole group. Everyone thought, great idea. Let's do that. They chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Notice the two characteristics or or the things that the, the people were to look for in those men. They had to be men full of the Spirit. Now, how would they know that? How would they make that assessment? When we looked around the room, when we go pick somebody, how would we know? We'd have obviously observed their lives and seen things that qualify that they're full of the Spirit. And they were men full of wisdom. And I believe this is really important because I think in our Christian walk, depending on what denomination that we've been raised in, we either end up as spiritual men or we end up as godly men. And I believe we're supposed to be both. Okay, so I was raised in an independent Baptist church that revered the Word of God. You know, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. I knew everything that was right and wrong. I was godly in the sense of having the wisdom to know what to do. But I was not a spiritual man because I was never taught the things of the Spirit. And the two married together. So you might go to a Pentecostal denomination, which is very big on the Spirit of God. So they will be very much focused on spiritual gifts, spiritual fruit, spirit, 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 spirit. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that person is just spiritual and has no character and no wisdom, they'll fall over. They'll make a mistake. They'll get tempted. Something will happen and and they'll flop. 
But if they're wise and they're spiritual, they're going to be the people that are able to lead and sustain what God has given to them. It's really important that we're both godly and spiritual. And I reckon that most of you could answer that question pretty much straight off the top of your head, whether you're spiritual or godly. And I think the challenge is to be both. God's design is to be both. And sadly, we're not taught to be both. But we really need to be people of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, know the Spirit's power, know what He wants us to do in each and every situation, but also be men of the Word and women of the Word who know God's truth, His absolute truth, and stand on that truth and are able to teach that truth. The two marry together, Word and Spirit. And we need to be that. So I think that's really important, just recognising where we're going. And then on that day that Stephen was stoned for his faith, so one of those guys that was picked out was dragged before the Sanhedrin because of the miracles and the things that he was doing, and they stoned him. And one of the statements that Stephen says to them is that all the ancestors that you've had, remember the Sanhedrin are the religious godly people. He says to them, you're stiff-necked. That's pretty harsh. He says, you're stiff-necked because you always resist the Holy Spirit. Your ancestors did it and you're doing it now. Instead of capturing what God's putting in front of you, you're finding a way to resist it and tear it apart and tear it down. And they stoned him for it. They killed him. And as a result of that, the Sanhedrin went after everybody else that was part of that church and they scattered. And one of the people that scattered was Stephen. Saul, remember Saul who became Paul? He was the one persecuting the church. He began to destroy it, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who'd been scattered, so they left Jerusalem, got scattered out to different areas, and they preached the word wherever they went. Philip, one of those elders, went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. When the message of God goes out and it's substantiated by signs and wonders, look at what happens. Everyone played close attention. People are drawn into the power and the presence of God at work always drawn in. And there was a great joy. There was like a hunger and an expectation rising up from the people. And one of the strings we have to have attached to the Holy Spirit is expectation. We have to believe that God wants to use us and move in our lives. We need to be hungry for Him and His presence and what He'll give to us. It's an openness to God. Now, I came from a denomination where I was told that the gift of tongues was demonic. So you can know what happens in my head and heart when I go to a church and they speak in tongues. Everything that was instilled within me goes, you're breaking God's word. You're not doing it the right way. Get me out of here. I'm out. Because I wasn't taught the truth. Now, if you're taught the truth, you have a choice in your heart to either accept it or resist it. I resist it. And I resisted and I resisted and I praise God that he didn't give up on me. And he ambushed me in all sorts of ways so that at the end I had to surrender and say, Lord, I give up. You're right. This is of you. And I've been lied to and I've been robbed and I've never had that string to pull on. And you need to know the word of God. 
and you need the wisdom of people around you. We need to be open and be ready for the things of the Spirit. Now, this is really interesting. Now, for some time, a man called Simon had practised sorcery in the city and had amazed all the people of Samaria. So Philip goes down, he preaches the gospel, he does signs and wonders, he teaches about Jesus, and this sorcerer comes along. Okay? And he had this reputation in Samaria as being the great man of God because of the things that he did. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him, Simon, because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Now listen, Simon himself believed and was baptised in water. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Think about that. Here's a guy who everyone focused on and said, everything you do is so amazing. Philip comes along and does it God's way. And he's astounded by what God can do compared to what he'd been a part of. If there's authentic Christian power, those that are bound in bondage to the enemy and all that the enemy can offer, they'll lay it down. They'll lay it down because what God offers is far better. But we don't see enough of the power and the presence of God for people to to be caught up by that. That's why I'm so passionate about us being a church of power because that's what the world needs to see. They need to see the power of God. So there was proof of the kingdom. It's no good preaching a message about a God that can do all things and yet the situations that you're in, God can't change. It doesn't substantiate the truth of the message that we preach. So what we hear with our ears and what we see when when God touches people should marry together. But if you're only a godly person with wise counsel to offer, but you don't have any power, all you've got is a message. You don't have a methodology. And the message of the kingdom is always substantiated by signs and wonders. And these will be the signs that follow them. Mark 16, they will speak in new tongues. They will lay hands on the sick. They will drive out demons. So there's a combination of wisdom and power, the presence of God. And we saw that here. Philip proclaimed Jesus, you need to be saved. And they all got saved. They gave their life to the Lord and got baptised. But look what happens next. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people in Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter, the apostle, and John, the apostle, to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Really interesting. We don't quite know why it happened this way. Remember, Philip was one of the seven that was set apart. The apostles laid hands on him. He comes down to Samaria. He does all these miracles. He's full of the Spirit because that's why he was chosen. All these people come to faith in Christ and yet there's this gap between that experience and them encountering the power of God. And the apostles come down. We're not quite sure why. The scholars have a lot of different reasons why. But I think it's because the gospel is spreading from the Jews to the non-Jews. 
And Philip probably didn't know what to do and he waited for the apostles to come and say, hey, is this all right? They've accepted the word. They believed in Jesus. What do we do now? Do we go and take them out and circumcise all the men? Do we turn them into Jews? And the apostles came and said, well, let's lay hands and see what God does. And they were filled with the same spirit that they'd received those weeks before. So the climax of every acceptance of God's word is the promised gift of receiving the Holy Spirit. It has to be. It's where God brands us as his possession. He puts his stamp of ownership on us. It's, it's actually a reward for us, for our really allegiance to the king. It's our inheritance to know his presence and power. And it equips us for effective ministry. Now, when Simon the sorcerer, who gave his life to Jesus and got baptised in water, saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, hey, I can make a buck or two out of this. Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. And Peter says to him, you have no part or share in this ministry because, listen, your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you and for having such a thought in your heart. Notice what happens next. Peter says, this is why the Spirit of God can't be part of your life. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So even if Simon had said, I want the Holy Spirit and the apostles had prayed, there wouldn't have been a, con a conditioning of his heart to receive the Spirit. He was full of bitterness and he was captive to sin. And so, so uh, Peter said to him, repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. And then Simon answers, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. I take that, that Simon heard the correction of Peter and he said, okay, I'll repent. That's all we know of the story. We're not given a lot. But what you do perceive from that is that there are obstacles for us to be full of the Spirit. He had selfish gain. He wanted to make money. And then Peter said, no, mate, you're full of bitterness and you're captive to sin. You've got to deal with that. If you're willing to deal with that, you can have God's best. So notice what happens here. There's repentance. The people hear the message. They believe in Jesus. They turn their hearts away from what they had before to, to the Lord. They give their life to Him. They, they do that because they believe in Jesus. They get baptised in water. And steps one to three are done. But notice there's a gap between one and three, one to three, and then receiving the Holy Spirit. So it is possible for any of us in this room to have given our life to Christ, to have been baptised in water, to have repented but not yet received the Spirit. That's your proof. But that is such a dangerous place to stop because if we don't get open to the infilling of the Spirit, we're just an empty shell. We've got all the bad stuff out. We've dealt with our sin and the stuff that's offensive to God. We've consecrated ourselves. We've made ourselves holy before God, but then we haven't done the next step and said, so God, fill the vacuum. Fill me up with your presence so that I can do this life that you've called me to. So I've got the power and I've got all that I need to draw from to live this life. So what we see unfold in Samaria is what I see in so many denominations. 
People are really good at teaching about repentance, really good about teaching about the Lord Jesus and how much He loves you. And, and, and people get that revelation and they go through the waters of baptism, but then there's not the wisdom or the authority or the mantle of leaders leading people through to the fourth step. And so you miss out. It's not your fault. You're not given the counsel and the wisdom and the guidance to know that that's the next step. How would you know? But it needs to be what happens next. A new believer who hears the gospel message for the first time has that revelation of how much God loves them. They're willing to do anything. If someone's really had a conversion in their heart, if they've really heard that message that they were a sinner in the hands of a holy, of a holy angry God and they give their lives over to the Lord and, and, and that revelation comes that they're forgiven and that they're cleansed, I tell you what, they're willing to put anything on the table. In fact, sometimes it's quite shocking if you're leading someone to the Lord and you say, is the Holy Spirit showing you anything you should repent of? And they'll, they'll just blurt it out. They'll tell you everything. Yeah, I slept with her and I slept with him. Oh, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't have told you I slept with him. But they'll just, because in that, in, that, in that exposed sense of being before a holy God, they're willing to get rid of it all. They just want to be cleansed and clean. And that's the precursor to the infilling of the Spirit. It's a holy spirit who can only possess a holy heart. But if our hearts are contaminated, then God can't be there. There's obstacles. That's what John the Baptist said, prepare the way of the Lord. Make the rough places smooth. Lift up the valleys, tear down the mountains. Get your heart ready to receive the righteousness of King Jesus enthroned in your heart. Get ready, get ready. But how much harder is it for a believer who was at that point but didn't get told or led into the infilling of the Spirit? If there's a time lag between that, what happens to you? I can tell you because that was me. You become resistant and you do things in your own strength. It doesn't mean you don't have a heart after God. It doesn't mean you're not striving to do the right things, but it just somehow doesn't feel right. It feels like there's something missing. It feels like you're religious, but you're not in the right place with God. And you know something? It's not your fault. It's your fault if someone leads you into the Spirit of God and into the presence of God and you're baptised in the Spirit and you walk away. Then that's your choice. But if no one's actually put the invitation there and said, this is normal Christianity, this is a normal Christian birth, belief, receive, be baptised and receive the Holy Spirit. They're the normal Christian birth processes, but you can miss out. If you are that person that hasn't had that infilling, guess what? You're going to have quenched or grieved the Holy Spirit. They're the two words that the Bible uses, quenching or grieving. Can someone put the air conditioner on? It's getting hot in here. Or maybe it's just me. It's hot. It just means that we haven't fully surrendered to God. But you know, sometimes it wasn't our fault. No one led us into it. And what I'm hearing as I begin to talk to people around the place, a lot of people have had that lack of, of discipleship. And so you've been left high and dry or there's questions of doubt or there's bits and pieces that you've received and God wants you to have his very best. So here's how I think it works. If you want to fly with the Spirit of God, 
then it starts with hunger. And it starts with the belief in the third person of the Trinity that the Spirit of God is, is, has been sent to indwell you. Has anybody ever heard of the word vicar? Like a pastor or a preacher? The Holy Spirit is the vicar of Christ. He's the representative of Jesus on earth. And he wants to take possession of us and lead our lives. But that can only come when there's a hunger and the belief that that is right and normal, that we repent and prepare ourselves, we consecrate ourselves before God. And then the expectancy and the obedience. Guess what? The wind is going to blow. God is going to breathe into your life and the parachute of your life is going to go, boom, I'm away. What God does in that process is totally up to Him. Totally up to Him. The when and the where is totally up to Him. I've seen people that we've prayed for that God has touched them right then and there. They've sat there for hours soaking in the presence of God, but they didn't have the wisdom to keep walking and they gave up their faith. I've seen people that have walked so steadfastly in the word and in the truth of God, but they've missed out on being a spiritual person. I really truly believe we need to be both. We need to fly. God wants us to fly. So what can stop us? I'm going to go through these real quick. Doubt or intellectual pride. So spiritual experiences cannot be figured out with the mind. If you're an analytical person like me, I feel sorry for you. I really do. I wish I was like Cheryl. God says that she believes that it happens. God says that I doubt it. I have to work it out and it takes me months to get there. That's my brain. And it's a curse. In some ways, it's a curse. Because we've got to come like little children. We've got to come like children to God. And if he wants to give us bread, he's not going to give us a stone. So if he's promised us his best, his spirit himself, then what are we scared of? What are we frightened about? What are we resisting? It's God's best for us. Religious tradition, that was me. We've always done it this way. What do you want to do, something new? We've done it like this for 50 years. We're not changing. We're not doing a God spirit thing. You know, and, and, and your religious stuff rises up in you and holds you captive. Fear of the supernatural. I was so frightened of speaking in tongues. Like, I mean, irrationally scared of speaking in tongues. To the point where every time I heard it, I was either fully angry or I was running out the door. And God ambushed me. We had a group of people in our church and they were having a home group. And they were the Pentecostal people in the church, right? So they thought, let's invite some people that are not Pentecostal to the Activate group and let's see what God does. So they had a guest speaker there and me being a godly person, listened to this man preach the word and I thought, he's going to be really flaky. You know, he'll be really wishy-washy and I'll be able to pin him to the wall and say, see, you're just, you're just one of those Pentecostal loop fruit loops who swings from the chandeliers and he preached such a good word and it was like, oh, okay, I can't get him on that. What can I get him on? Anyway, he pulled some people up out of the audience, out of the little group and said, I'm going to do some prophecy. Prophecy? They're like soothsayers, you know? They just make stuff up. This will be good. I'll get him on this. So he prophesied over a few people that I knew. 
I was sitting in the back corner of the room having a conversation with a guy called Brad Jen and Brad Jen was telling me all about how you had a call on his heart to go to Africa. I think it was to Kenya, blah, 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 blah. He pulls Brad up, puts Brad in front of him and says, I can see you working with black people in Africa. I think it's Kenya. And then off he went and I'm like, there's microphones in the room. He's listening. <laughs> I was looking around in little artificial plants for, for something. That's what I thought. This is how ridiculous it is, but that's what resistance does. And then guess what he does? He calls me out. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. I was fearful, but okay. So I trot to the front of the room and he looks at me and he goes, Mark, are you on your own? And I said, no, my wife Cheryl's with me. She's over there. We'd got separated. And he said, okay, Cheryl, you come up too. Now, we had just been for a scan that day uh, to confirm that Cheryl was pregnant with Sam. She got up out of the seat. She started walking to the front and he said, when's the baby due, Cheryl? We were the only two people on the face of the planet that knew that was happening. So he had my attention. (laughs) So I'm sitting, I'm, I'm standing in front of him and I'm going, God, Please don't let him speak in tongues over me. I just don't. Guess what he does? <laughs> Lord, don't let him be one of those people that laughs. Don't let him be. He really starts roaring with laughter. Off he, off he And I'm like, oh, just bury me now. Please, please. I was so embarrassed. And then he stopped. He stopped. He said, Mark, look at me. You know when you're in those situations where you don't want to make eye contact? He's <laughs> like, Mark. Look at me. <laughs> I look up at him. And my, you know when your chin starts to quiver? And you, and, and you know something's about to happen. I'd just gone into Bible college. We didn't have the money to pay the fees. We were worrying about where all the bills were coming from. And I was having an internal hernia worrying about how we were going to pay our way. He looked straight in my eye and he said, Mark, Your father wants to tell you, stop worrying about the money. (laughs) He's got the money. I just broke into tears. I just burst into tears because for the first time I knew God had me. I knew he had me. Like I was godly. I was after the things of God, but I needed that supernatural reassurance that this was really God. This road I chose to travel was really God. Guess what I did the next day? I went down to the Baptist Bible College and I tore strips off everybody. <laughs> you tell you this lies. This is real. You've got to come and hear this, man. And I made a goose of myself because I was passionate, because I discovered something that was real and I wanted it. So religious traditions and fear of the supernatural can do that. Unconfessed sin. I'm not teaching you anything you don't know. We've got to have clean lives. We can be wounded from our past and, and, and that stops us from being filled with the Spirit because we're not letting go of some of those inner, inner wounds. And God wants to minister to those, bang. And then the last one, which I think is probably more relevant for us in our Western world, it's an unyielding spirit. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if you are full of yourself. Some people are just too willful. They have not surrendered their plans, their finances, their relationships or their time to God. They have their own lives planned out and they don't want God interrupting their agendas. Okay, God's agenda is that we give our lives up to Him. He controls our lives. 
It's his spirit that leads us. It's his spirit that tells us what to do. Our job's just to be obedient. If we're not willing to do that, then we'll never fully experience the presence of God. So when you hear a message about being filled with the spirit, walking in the fullness of what God wants, it's going to cause a reaction. It has to. But that reaction will either be, I'm reaching for this, Mark. I want this. This is what I'm supposed to have. Or I'm already walking in it and I just want more. Or it'll be a resistance. Who are you to tell me that's what I need to do? I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm telling you what God's telling you to do. And if I just happen to be in the long line of kings and prophets and apostles and pastors and teachers that have been criticised and abused for that, well, I'll cop that. I'll cop it because I love you enough to tell you that God's best is right here. I've prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. God wants us to feast on him. And if we feast on him, guess what? There'll be power. There'll be prosperity. There'll be peace. There'll be everything that we need to get our parachutes in the air and fly. So this is God's very best for you. I want to play you just a song to finish. And I just want you to think about what is God doing in your heart? A bit like what Tabitha said today. What are you craving for? And then we're just going to have a time of ministry. You might want to come and just say, you know something? My heart just feels dead. I'm not even feeling anything. But just reacting to that and saying, God, do something, that's a huge step forward. You might be saying, listen, I've been fasting and praying all week, Mark. I'm bursting at the seams. I just want something more. Great. You're not coming to respond to a man or a woman. You're coming to let God give something to you. Because I've got nothing to give you. I can't give you anything. But I know the God that indwells me. And I know that he's got something stored up for you. And he'll impart that if you're hungry.